Class action lawsuits in the wake of large data breaches aren't uncommon. For instance, already there have been several class action lawsuits filed against Primera Blue Cross in the aftermath of a hacker breach that impacted 11 million individuals, which the company revealed publicly on March 17th. I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorney John Yanchunis of law firm Morgan and Morgan. John is representing plaintiffs in one of the lawsuits filed against Primera. John has also represented plaintiffs in several other large data breach-related lawsuits, and he will be speaking to us about some of the trends that he's seeing in breach-related cases. Hi, John. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. So now, for starters, it seems like whenever there is a large data breach, class action lawsuits are filed, and in fact, sometimes dozens and dozens of these suits get filed. For instance, in the Anthem breach, class action suits were filed just the next day. Why are these suits becoming so common, and why are they being filed so quickly? They're becoming more common because they're more data breaches where the potential injury to consumers is becoming more common. They're filed more quickly because of a very educated group of lawyers like myself who advocate privacy on behalf of plaintiffs and who seek to remedy on behalf of the consumers that we represent the data breach. For instance, once that information gets out into the black market, the injury can become immediate and will continue sometimes for years depending upon the nature of the information taken. So suits are filed quickly to try to remedy that, both to seek damages for consumers who will suffer injury as well as, and more importantly, to ensure that companies or defendants who have this information adopt procedures and mechanisms to safeguard against further breaches. In many cases, we found at the time we file and in researching the drafting of our complaints or shortly thereafter, that the defendants who lost this information had very poor security systems to prevent these breaches and, in fact, may have been warned by both government as well as private security consultants that the company has a problem and yet they ignore or fail to pay attention properly to the notification, and then the breach occurs. John, you're representing plaintiffs in the Primera case. So what's different about the Primera breach compared with other breach lawsuits that you've been involved with? In Target, where I was a member or am a member of the executive committee, and then in the Home Depot data breach case where I'm one of three co-leads in charge of the litigation, the information taken there was primarily debit cards, and credit card information. To the extent that Target and Home Depot had their own branded credit cards, then personal information was also taken. But for the most part, the significant majority of the people who lost information, banks or financial institutions quickly canceled those credit cards or debit cards once they found out that there was a security breach. That didn't necessarily mean that people still didn't suffer injury to the extent that those cars were not canceled quickly enough, but the information was somewhat discreet in nature. In a healthcare breach such as what occurred here, 
the information was extensive. It included demographic information about the individual insureds as well as wage information, social security information, everything a data thief needs in order to create a synthetic identity to go out and wreck decades of havoc on the consumers who we seek to represent. That's why in these instances in Primera, in Anthem, the injuries are going to be so much more extensive, the harm so much more long-term. So now, John, your suit is one of several that have been filed in the Primera breach so far in federal court. What's different about your suit, and do you think that these suits will be consolidated eventually, and why? I expect them to be consolidated. So typically, if cases are filed before the same federal court, what will happen is the cases will be assigned to the judge who first had the first filed case, and then they'll proceed in a consolidated fashion. To the extent that their case is filed around the state or in other states where this carrier provides coverage, then what you'll see is the filing of a petition before the judicial panel on multi-district litigation, and the MDL panel will decide where those cases should be sent. For instance, in the Adventist, where there is an MDL petition which will be heard in Minnesota at the panel arguments in May. There are cases filed all around the country. There's lawyers as well as the carrier that are advocating for the cases to be transferred and consolidated in Indiana. Other lawyers uh, seek transfer and consolidation in California, Chicago, and the panel will make a decision where the cases should go. Sometimes they send cases to where a defendant is incorporated or headquartered, other times to other jurisdictions where judges don't have the workload and can otherwise handle a major case. Now, John, we've been seeing a lot more mega breaches in the healthcare sector, especially involving hackers. What do you think is a bigger threat to the healthcare sector when it comes to data security and patient privacy? Is it these hackers or, or is it insiders, the people who work at these organizations and have access to data? It's an interesting question, and I think both. I have at present two and later today a third class action against a hospital system where the misuse of patient information came from somebody who worked within the hospital, took that information and was trying to use it for criminal purposes. But the larger data breaches that we see in Adventist and Primera tend to be external. So a health hospital or insurance company has to be on guard for both. And in fact, the privacy experts that we work with look at both external and internal security. And even if the breach was external, we always make certain that the relief we seek also includes internal security components so that the individuals who are, who have access within a company to information are those who should properly have access They're properly credentialed. They've had background checks to make certain that they don't have problems in their background. When that information is accessed, it's for a legitimate purpose in connection with the employment of that employee. Now, as we were just discussing, you know, there's external threats, there's internal threats, and you've been involved with a number of different cases. Does there seem to be a common thread in all of these cases that you've been involved with so far when it comes to sort of the failures of these organizations and these breaches that happen? There is a common denominator, and that is a lax security system, a lax method 
for handling information. What can be different is when companies have been warned and others who have not. But remarkably, in a number of these cases, we have found once we've gotten into discovery that there were early warnings and yet those warnings were not heeded. Target, of course, was one in which a white paper was published years before the Target data breach in which a noted security expert reflected that retailers were at risk for the type of breach that occurred at Target. Somebody from Target, as as our complaint alleges, asked for that white paper, and it was sent by the expert, and yet nothing was done internally to safeguard the information that Target was collecting on a daily basis. Obviously, you know that case has been settled, and the settlement of the class case is now pending approval before the U.S. District Judge in St. Paul. Now, John, what do you think the impact of all these breaches and all these breach lawsuits may have on cyber insurance? Do you think the cyber insurance companies will begin getting more picky about the kinds of policies that they'll provide to clients and who they'll agree to insure? Absolutely. So right now, there's a rush of companies to get into the marketplace. Three, four years ago, I tended to see the same insurance company riding a lot of the risk. But with opportunity to sell insurance against risk, you see more companies willing to enter into the process without really the ability of assessing what risk they're insuring against. I mean, they certainly know the acts, but in terms of the repercussions or the cost, which is you know the whole purpose of uh, insurance underwriting. You know, if you go back historically into how property and casualty companies wrote risk insurance, or at least industrial insurance, they would send safety engineers into factories to ascertain whether or not a particular factory had put in the appropriate safeguards to insure against injuries, for instance. And as a result of those consultants or surveys, the particular factory would make improvement to lessen the amount of risk. So here, when companies are unable to get insurance because the market begins to constrict, you're going to see companies adopting better security systems, as well as when insurance companies go in and send in risk assessors or surveyors, and they come up with things that are short or otherwise need to be addressed, companies will begin to move towards better improving their security system, as well as what I do for a living and other lawyers like me is when there are security breaches where companies have failed to comply with the standards of the common practices that are otherwise in the industry, otherwise known as negligence, then you have lawsuits. Companies tend to want to prevent that from occurring, so they're going to adopt better security measures. And it's a constant thing. As technology develops and as thieves get better at what they do, companies are going to continue to have to uh, make improvements. And again, the cybersecurity insurance market is going to have a, a big impact on that as we move forward into the next several years. Now, John, many breach lawsuits, especially in the healthcare sector, often end up being dismissed by the courts. Why do you think that's the case, and do you think that's going to shift and change? It has shifted and it has changed. So I think in, historically, um, some of the courts have not understood the value of privacy, believing that you have to have some economic impact in terms of a loss of a dollar, for example, when in fact judges are now becoming more educated about the value of that information and how years later that information can 
pop up in the form of synthetic identities to have caused a consumer injury. In addition, courts are becoming more sensitive to the fact that a consumer has an interest in protecting his or her information that resides in the possession of the defendant. Because remember, even though there's a data breach and the information is taken, it continues to reside in either paper or electronic form in the possession of the defendant. And any consumer has an interest in ensuring that that information be safeguarded, now having been able to establish that it wasn't and it was taken by a thief. So that standing, that Article Three standing that it pops up in the case law in some motions to dismiss and the orders granting those motions, courts are seeing or developing a better understanding. So now finally, John, what would you say is the biggest message that these class action lawsuits should be sending to entities that are experiencing breaches? Well, I think each of us need to understand that how important our information is and how we should maintain as much as possible our privacy. There are occasions in which that's not possible. Filling out an application for insurance, filling out a credit application, you know, we give information that we have to in order to get the benefit of whatever the application is for, insurance or for credit. There are many contexts in which we freely give out information without really thinking. We really need to put our name in some drawing for a free cruise. And and what are we giving that entity? Because a lot of these entities will use that information for marketing or otherwise use it for their own purposes, and we have no control over that. So I think people need need to be more careful in, in what they give out. And in connection with who they give it to, what safeguards does that company have to protect their information? You know, we don't yet have a strong consumer voice to mandate uh, legislation. So the insurance market and lawyers that do what I do are the ones now driving change. There's been a patchwork of states that have adopted laws, many of which do not protect consumers. California being a state which has advanced consumer rights in legislation far further than any other state in the country. The state that I live in, not so much. The data breach notification provision provides some ability of the attorney general to enforce the state's rights. What about consumers' rights? Those of us when state attorney general isn't moving quick enough, consumers ought to have that ability to protect their information and to advocate rights which have been breached. There remains to date no national privacy legislation. People ought to recognize that and write their legislator congressman, senator, and advocate that appropriate measures be passed so that not only is there an adoption of a gold standard by any entity that has this information, that there be no exemptions from the reach of the law, and that consumers have the right, if the law has been breached, to pursue claims on their own behalf. That's very important. We have that in in some regards or in, in, in some situations, for instance the Drivers Protection and Privacy Act, which came about as a result of an actress who was stalked by an individual in California. This individual walked into a California Department of Motor Vehicles, asked for the name and address, or the address of this actress, was given the address across the counter, and went to this actress's home, and this individual murdered this actress. As a result, Congress passed the Drivers Protection and Privacy Act, which protects the information that every one of us gives to motor vehicle license bureaus as well as information we give about our cars. 
that information cannot be obtained from the state other than if that a requester can certify and prove that they need it for one of 14 enumerated exceptions. So we already protect that type of information, and if the law is violated, each of us can sue for liquidated damages of $2,500. But if information is taken from Anthem or any other health carrier, there's no legislation that protects us. Why is that? That, that information can still cause damage, hopefully not of the type that this young woman in California suffered, but if I had a daughter, uh, which I do have too, but if they lived outside the home, they had young ch children, and this information had been taken from an insurance company or a bank, I'd be very concerned about their safety because you have no idea what a thief or a criminal will do with that information. We have to protect ourselves, and we must demand that Washington help us protect ourselves. Thanks, John. I've been speaking to attorney John Yanchunis. I'm Marianne Kobasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.